Federal Drive is presented by GEHA, Government Employees Health Association, proudly providing health and dental benefits to federal employees and their families. Visit GEHA.com. Military service members who want a way to get a professional credential in coaching have a new way to do so. It's via the Credentialing Opportunities Online or COOL program. Now, COOL has been around for years. Most recently, it's enlisted the International Coaching Federation. Here with more, Carrie Abner, the Vice President for Credentials and Standards at the International Coaching Federation. Ms. Abner, good to have you with us. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And also Danny Doucette. He's a trustee of the Air Force Aid Society and a coach and an Air Force former officer himself. Mr. Doucette, good to have you with us. Thank you for having us. And Carrie, I'm going to start with you. Tell us what this credential is for and maybe a little bit about the International Coaching Federation. You're not talking about football and baseball coaching, are you? That's right. We're talking about professional coaching. And at the International Coaching Federation, we are the largest global professional association of professional coaches. And What we mean by coaching, it's a collaborative, creative process where a coach works with a client to help them realize their full personal and professional potential. So at the ICF, we provide professional certifications for coach practitioners, and we are delighted that one of our credentials, the Associate Certified Coach Credential, has now been approved and is available to U.S. military service members and civilian staff through the COOL program, the DOD COOL program. The Associate Certified Coach Credential acknowledges professionals who have attained education, experience, and independently validated their knowledge and skills through assessment to serve as a qualified coach. So we're very excited to make that available to service members. Okay. And Danny, you know, the often expectation is that people coming out of the military have done so much and has such great leadership skills, et cetera, et cetera, that they can just march right into industry and find a place. The reality is quite different, though, isn't it? It is. And a lot of the uh, bridge that happens in the civilian sector requires either a license or a certification. They have all this experience growing up in the military. And then as they transition out of the military, they're kind of on a gap. And what the ICF associate certification does is bridge that gap. It's the gold standard of coaching internationally. You know, in the military, we've had several opportunities, but we call it something different in the military. It was mentoring in the military versus on the civilian sector, it's called coaching. But can you make a living at it? It's not like you're getting a credential to pull a tooth, which would be a dental degree and a dental license, which is, you know, a living. (laughs) Is coaching something someone can do and or is it something you do in connection with some other private sector job? Well, I'm a beneficiary of this. And so if it wasn't for this in 2018, when I transitioned, I wouldn't have received the position where I'm currently at. There's a lot of fields, career placement in the HR field, executive leadership, training development, and overall, just general leadership. When you think about coaching, just like what Carrie said, it's holding peers accountable. And so it's a fundamental core competency that you learn, you get certified, but not only for that person itself, but the people that are hiring coaches, they know that there's ethics behind the coaching. There's confidentiality behind that. So that trust factor really does help. And you can make a really successful career 
I just so happen to benefit from the company that I work for, Leadership Foundry, a division of Parsons. And we do this both internally and for external clients. Parsons, you mean the big engineering firm? Yes, sir. Okay. Just want to make sure we get the right Parsons in there. And Carrie, how does this type of activity differ from mentoring? Because a lot of companies and organizations have mentors, but coaching sounds a little bit more formal. Tell us how that works. So in mentoring, generally speaking, the mentor provides expertise to the individual that they're supporting. Coaching is different. Coaching realizes that clients often have the resources, the answers, the solutions to help them grow and to best inform kind of their path forward. Coaches serve to support their clients in discovering and becoming aware of those solutions that are intrinsically inside them, that are already there just waiting to to come out and emerge. And it is a growing profession. We are seeing huge growth in the coaching profession worldwide. You asked a little earlier about the ability to make a living in this field. According to the 2023 Global Coaching Study that ICF supported, coaching has experienced huge growth with an estimated number of coach practitioners surpassing 100,000 for the first time ever. That's a 54% increase compared to 2019. So it's a huge and growing profession worldwide. We're speaking with Carrie Abner. She's vice president for credentials and standards at the International Coaching Federation and with Danny Doucette. He's a credentialed coach himself, also a trustee of the Air Force Aid Society. And Danny, anything to add? One thing that I would mention also about executive coaching, it's very similar to sports coaching. When you think about an athletic coach where they have line coach, quarterback coach, a running coach, doctors, the profession of medical doctors may even hire a coach just to watch them during the surgery and hold them accountable, maybe provide them with a different perspective. High-performing CEO, C-suite folks, where they're actually performing and they just need that one edge just to continue or grow in a new company wherever they go. So it is a growing field. It is foundational, very similar to sports. And how do you make sure that coaches, is this in the credentialing or in the training, don't veer off into psychology? Because, you know, there's a common saying in management when you are supervising people, we're not psychologists. And it sounds like this could, without a little bit of fence around it, devolve into something someone's not qualified to do? That's a wonderful question, Tom. And that is built into the code of ethics, as well as into the core competencies for coaching practice. And to your point, the credential, the associate certified credential, which is now approved by the Department of Defense Cool Program, includes this as part of the requirements that coaches recognize the limitations, the boundaries of professional practice, and do not take on roles that are not within coaching itself. Coaching is different from therapy, counseling, and other similar helping disciplines, and it's important that we maintain that distinction there. As a certified coach, professional coaches sign on to a code of ethics, which they confirm and verify that they will maintain through their professional practice. Yes, because performance and situations that affect people negatively are often outside of the workplace. They could have a marital problem. They could have any one of a million types of things. So at that point, the coach's best advice is, well, you better see somebody about that because I can't help you. 
That's absolutely right. There are clear requirements within the core competencies that we provide for professional coaches to provide referrals to other support systems when a client may need it. And Danny, in your military experience, you have seen that people at a young age become responsible for the performance of others, often in life and death situations, and they call that leadership. And then there are specific skills you need in the military situation that you are trained to have. How does that map over to coaching or does it? It does. And when you think about even just being non-judgmental or holding others, growing leadership is about taking care of maybe their servicemen. ICF provides a framework where you could actually help them grow. And this is the beauty of executive coaching for the DOD, because whether it's promotion, whether it's just transition into a career, I want to see that service person get better. And how do you do it? Through fundamental coaching questions. Typically, the response that we see is, The service person knows the answer. The coach just provides questions to highlight that answer that they're going to come up with. Mentoring is, I will tell you how to do this. Coaching versus is, I'm going to help you through coaching questions. Got it. So a good coach might have said to General MacArthur, maybe you should land before the president arrives. (laughs) Yes, exact. (laughs) Danny Doucette is a credentialed coach and trustee of the Air Force Aid Society. Thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. And Carrie Abner is vice president for credentials and standards at the International Coaching Federation. Pleasure having you. Thank you so much. It's been a delight. And we'll post this interview along with a link to more information about the COOL program and about the ICF at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. As the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency's Chief People Officer, Elizabeth Comstetter sees a focus on people as absolutely crucial to her leadership style. Comstetter joined Shane Canfield, WEPA CEO, to reflect on her years of experience leading in the federal human capital space. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Elizabeth Kolmstetter, Chief People Officer at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. In your current position at CISA, one of your responsibilities is ensuring a people-first culture. Explain what that is, and, and what's the role of leadership in creating and shaping that culture. Yes, at CISA, really paramount to our culture is a people-first driven aspect so that we are really looking at how do we accomplish our mission through our people. And in order to do that, we really value our people. We want them to feel empowered and supported and uh, respected and also that their managers care about them. So well-being is important. Psychological safety in the workplace is important so that all voices and ideas are heard. So I like to call it our North Star. Having a people-first culture really starts with the people in order to get our incredibly difficult mission accomplished. In terms of leadership, which is a great question, I think we all know that culture is really driven by leadership and the, the behaviors that we allow and we uh, you know, uh, reinforce in our leaders. 
So we really work at making sure that our leaders are bringing out the best in their people every day. So again, that they feel they can bring their voice, especially an opinion that might not go along with the majority of a group, so that we get that diverse perspective, we get those different ideas and experiences. And that's really where we find that it's important that leaders are purposefully bringing out their talent on their teams to enable our mission. Excellent. We're, we're going through a, a culture project at our work. Oh, great. Yeah, it's, um, it's been six months in the making, and it's going really well, but it is work. Yes. And it requires from the top down, so I'm, I'm also involved in that. I hear you. Great. Throughout your career, you've piloted many different talent management programs, including at NASA, the CIA, the FBI, just to name a few, and you have an amazing career. What have you learned or how have you might have changed along the way in creating and leading those programs? Yes, and I, I, I am so honored to have had a career in public service across multiple federal agencies, always in the realm of human resources and workforce performance. And I think because I study organizations and people in them, I've come to realize, particularly in the federal government, that many of our programs are really grounded in the industrial era thinking, that this is organizationally structured in a hierarchy with boxes and lines on charts, uh, with the center being around jobs and what do we need to get this job done in terms of skills and training. And what I found is that we're really not in the industrial era anymore where we would promote the smartest people who knew that work and they would then tell the people on their team how to do things and oversee that work. We're now in a digital era and the information era where work gets done collaboratively across geographic boundaries and certainly across org charts. So uh, we like to call it networks um, or hierarchies, And we really need to, again, unleash people so they can find those other people who are working on similar problems or have the right ideas. And so I really like to think of our work now in the talent programs being human-centered. It's more about the user and the experience than about the rules and regulations. So although we have to have rules and regulations, certainly in human resources, is that person experiencing what they need and getting what they need for their role at that time? So not so much on the job, but on the person. So for example, we're recruiting. What's the applicant experiencing? Because if they're not having a good experience with our organization from the time we're recruiting them, they're going to go work for somebody else. Same thing with like first-time supervisors. We know they need certain training, but telling them to sit in a class for one week and then hope a year from now they'll remember what they learned to apply, that's not really human-centered. The human-centered is what do they need when they need it and building modules or, or just-in-time training and bringing that to the people, to that user as they need it. So that's really, I think, the most important focus of talent programs today in this era to enable the workers to be the best they can be in their, in their roles. Excellent. New thinking. Um, this is always an interesting question. Has there been a time when, as a leader, that you've made a mistake? And what is that? And um, I think most important, what did you take away from that? What did you learn from that? Well, I kind of chuckle because I think as leaders, we have to learn to recognize our mistakes, admit our mistakes, and that they are opportunities to learn. And so uh, I've had to do my own self-reflection on, 
on making mistakes and when things don't turn out the way that I expected them to. Um, makes me think of a time when I was at the Transportation Security Administration and I was a supervisor. And I was really embroiled with my program. I was the technical leader of it. I understood it. I'd run it for years. And I was making a briefing for a decision that had to be made about this program that was very near and dear to me. And I presented the briefing uh, to one of the very senior people in the agency. And I think there are about 20 people in the room. And I had gone through the briefing, answered all the questions, and that leader then said, okay, I'm going to go around the room and get everybody's opinion, and then everybody gets to vote, which kind of set me aback because there were people in that room that didn't have any technical knowledge about my program. She even turned to the executive assistant there, taking notes on the meeting, and said, go ahead, and I want to hear from you. And I realized, in hindsight, I had stopped listening. I had been in transmitting all of my knowledge and what I saw to be the right way, and I was not listening to different perspectives in the room because I didn't think that I didn't value that they were bringing any kind of input to this particular decision. And it didn't go as I had hoped. And I left very disappointed and was busy blaming the senior leader and how that meeting was conducted, that she let all these people have opinions when they didn't know, in my mind, didn't know what they were talking about. And so um, in reflection on that, I realize, and now as I've moved into more senior leadership positions, I realize that was a mistake, that it actually is really important to listen, especially to people who have different perspectives or at a different point in the career, not just the people who know the program or the technical really well. And so that was a mistake I made, and I realized in my own sense I wasn't listening to very different opinions, and I probably should have because I would have learned more about what was needed for this program going forward than just leaving, getting getting upset that it didn't go a certain way. So I've really practiced active listening. I've practiced making sure there's very different people on um, teams and certainly on committees or councils that we need early careers, people new to the agency, mm -hmm. people who haven't walked in the shoes of the technical workforce because they're asking questions we need to hear for these programs to be successful. Excellent. Your career in talent management means your work is very closely tied to people. And even your title, chief people officer, what does that mean to you to be a leader in the federal system with that focus? Isn't that a great title? I just love the title chief people officer, and I think it's my dream job, really, to be focused on people and culture and the workforce strategy for the whole agency. And I'm just so excited to be at CISA at this point in time. We're only four years young as an agency, so we're really still creating who we're going to become as an agency and what is our culture and what kind of people and talent do we need to be sure we have to be successful. So it's very exciting for me to be in this role with an intentional focus on culture because it's one of those things, if you leave it to chance and you kind of hope it goes the way you want it to, it probably won't. So by building programs, including leadership development programs, including um, any kind of training and learning and career growth and um, engagement programs and listening programs, that's what's really key for, I think, for our agency and particularly me in this role. Um, 
I think in the federal government, we got used to doing annual survey, the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey that OPM, Office of Personnel Management, runs every year. So we would do a survey and we'd read it and we'd say, oh, this is the opinion of our people. And then we would do action plans and then we'd roll out certain activities that we would hope would, in, would increase engagement. In this era, you can't do once a year and understand what your employees' experiences are, what they need, what's working well, and what needs to improve. We need active, uh, ongoing listening programs. So one of the things we're doing at CISA is having more pulse surveys, having more focus groups and what we call sensing sessions, expecting our leaders to have office hours where anybody can come and just talk about what's going well, what do they need, how, how are things going? Um, because I, we feel like it is an ongoing need to hear from our people. And I think in this role and over the years of serving, I've also realized there's never a one-size-fits-all. You know, we think certain people need certain things at certain times in their career. There's no one-size-fits-all. Neither can we also customize everything to every individual. So there's got to be a sweet spot in building really great talent programs, but also, like I said, thinking about can we do this in modules? Can we make it a menu? Can we do it just in time as people need it so they can practice the new skill or knowledge in their role? So I think we have such great opportunity, again, with the technology that enables us to really um, focus on how we connect people with their work and their team to get things done in, in very new ways. This is always an interesting question. Is there a figure, either from your personal life, your past, somewhere in history generally, that inspired you, your leadership style, um, how you view leadership? There are many figures who have been very inspirational to me, but there is one that sticks out, and that's my mother, Paula Brownlee, who has been a very inspiring leader to me all my life. And I think because, first and foremost, she had a strong family and a strong career, and that's something I always wanted. And I saw her first as my mother, but then I also saw her as a leader in her career and in academia, which was her chosen field. But I always knew her family came first. And as I saw how she balanced different family needs with also a, a growing and more and more prominent um, career positions in leadership, that she had to balance that. And I think I learned from her that you can have both. You have to, you have to focus on different things through your career um, and through your life, but that you don't have to trade one for the other. Um, I've been married, happily married for 32 years, and I'm a mother of twins who are almost 24 years old. So, and I've had a great career in public service. So I think that having her as a role model has really helped me um, find my own courage, find my own confidence, and find my own voice in how I can prioritize the things that are most important to me so that I can actually balance both family and career. And you're doing it well. You're, Thank uh, you. Having known you now for seven or eight years yeah. um, and worked alongside you, uh, your passion is infectious. Thank you. Your uh, intelligence and, and the thoughtfulness with which you approach uh, all of these issues, it's... Uh, it's an honor for you to be here, and thank you for your time. Thank you very much. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO at WEPA, and until next time, have a great day. 
Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.